and gentlemen, Unsung Unwrapped listeners, listen, we have a very special guest. We are so fortunate to be able to have the Shirley Jones of the Jones Girls. Miss Shirley Jones with us. Hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Unsung Unwrapped. It is so fantastic to have you with us. Well, it's great being with you all. We want to know, what did you think of the episode? When was it recorded, first of all? Some of it started like July of last year, June or July of last year okay. at the height of the pandemic. Mm. Um, then, it, then it shut down and the bulk of it was recorded in August and September of okay. last year. Wow. So in the yeah. next couple, so it's been just about a year. Yeah, it's been about Since, a year. And, so uh, you know, mm-hmm. we had a whole different idea for Unsung, but because of the pandemic, this way worked out even better. Uh, mm-hmm. Two of the people that would have been featured more prominently are Godmother. She was supposed to have been the first interviews, but then they couldn't do those because of the pandemic. Right. Between then and then when we finally went back to Detroit, she passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, so and Yuki, my designer and stylist that was actually in Unsung, mm-hmm. uh, quite featured quite prominently, mm-hmm. he passed four months ago. So that's bittersweet for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was so precious. Oh, I'm yes. so sorry to hear that. Yes. So he and I were just discussing what I was going to wear to the mm-hmm. Unsung, and he was getting ready to send me some sketches and of course design it for me and then he was going to design something for himself as well right. and he passed away yes i'm so sorry to hear that yeah well but no I, i'm very pleased with with the outcome especially with all the changes we had to make because mm-hmm. of the pandemic extremely pleased with what unsung did in telling my sisters and i telling our story that is so great. Well, it was fantastic to find out so much about the Jones girls. We really needed to know <laughs> the story behind it. Uh, Nikki and I were talking about, we're big fans of, of gospel music, uh, particularly yes. the Winans and the Clark sisters, which of course, oh, you yeah. know, very much know about being in Detroit. All right, so the Jones girls, when you hear the background harmonies, it's one sound. It's it's almost like it's one person that's layered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way with the Clark sisters. I think the Winans did that. And I'm trying to figure out, is that a Detroit thing? Well, no, because you have the emotions out of Chicago that have mm-hmm. that same they were one sound. One yeah. sound. And I think it's a sibling thing. Um, mm. I, I truly do, because the tones and the resonance in our voices, most siblings, is is so close to one another, especially Brenda and Valerie and I, because back in the day, people would call our house and, you know, they'd be like, Shirley? And it would be Brenda or Valerie that that answered the phone. And, you know, people couldn't distinguish our voices speaking-wise. And so I think it's a sibling thing more so than, uh, uh, say, a state or it's more blood (laughs) in the blood. Oh, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. That, yeah. I didn't even think about it that way. That yeah. makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Another thing that you had in common, I would say, with the Clark sisters was the influence of your mother 
Absolutely. In fact, their mother uh, played piano for my mother years before the Clark sisters, years before us. Yes. And she played piano for my mother and they were very good friends. Maddie Mm. Moss. Yes. That must have been some awesome chemistry right there. Your mother and Maddie Moss, Dr. Maddie Moss Clark together. Mm. I can imagine what that sounded like. Oh, yes. Boy, I tell you, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But she told me, you know, she would tell me about those uh, days. And so also Della Reese and Jackie Wilson were all at one point sang with my mom. Wow. What a rich history. Yes. That's incredible. Um, One thing that I liked about your story was that your mother would be in the studio with you all when you were down doing background up until, singing. Up until I was 18. And, and was she there, was yeah. not playing. And it all, those mu- all those musicians, they'll, they laugh about that now, right? <laughs> A lot of those guys, they know she was not playing when it came to her girls in the studio because mm-hmm. it took her so long to um, decide, you know, to let us, you know, get into the secular field you know that was not something that was at the top of her agenda for us at all she wanted us to stay in gospel and we kind of did too but then when you know we also wanted uh you know being teenagers and being in Motown we also Mm -hmm. wanted to you know try to be like the Supremes who were our idols so Mm -hmm. you know she and she loved the Supremes so that I think the Motown era and people constantly calling her, asking her, oh, let those girls, let them just try it. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what what ultimately uh, let her decide to do it, to let us do it. Did you still feel like her influence, even when you hit 18 and you're like, OK, we have our wings and we're going to fly. Did oh, you yeah. still feel her influence on the road, mm-hmm. even though Absolutely. she wasn't there? In fact, uh, we we called her a lot from the road, mm-hmm. and she would, of course, give give us her opinion and her advice as to what we should do. I mean, constantly we we contact. Well, we were always in contact with my mother because so much stuff was thrown at us, and finally, you know, she entrusted McKinley Jackson to to just mm-hmm. handle everything for us. But even with once he started became our first manager and we she knew he knew the business being with Motown and Holland Georgia Holland we still always talked to her especially when it came to major decisions always speaking of the Supremes you said your mother was a big fan of you got to tour with Diana Ross absolutely yes. what was that like especially now that we know you were such big fans what was that like working with Diana Ross it was great at that time, she had a 30-piece orchestra plus us that were all going overseas. So it was the three of us, Diana and her personal assistant, were the only females. So on off days, she didn't have anything to do, especially when her girls, a lot of times she would bring her girls, Rhonda, Tracy, and Chutney. Mm-hmm. They were little, like three, four. Um, and I think at one point, Chutney was hadn't even been born. And then Chutney was maybe like eight or nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, when they weren't there, she didn't have anything to do. So she would call us and we would go shopping and just hang out. And we became very close with her. And contrary to what a lot of people have said about Diana, Diana is one of the sweetest women I've ever met. You know, and I, I used to tell people, I said, that, you know, they said, oh, well, we heard she's the, she's, I said, you know something, she was a perfectionist. She was the hottest entertainer in the world. Mm-hmm. And because she demanded 
perfection from her musicians as well as from her singers. If she had been a man, they'd say, oh, he's such a strong person. Mm. He is He is just, you know, he's on top of it. But because she was a female demanding that, she got the name witch with a B in front of it. And that, that just goes to show you the differences, mm. not only back then, but now. My question is, how did Diana Ross's professionalism influence you and your sisters when you guys went on your own? Oh, we, we learned so much from her. Uh, not only, for, you know, to stage presence, how to handle, and we were constantly asking her questions. You know, how do you, how do you make it so that each and every person in your audience feels like they're alone with you and you're giving that concert to them? And she gave us a, a lot of information and tricks on how to do it. And we took that into our shows. And even though we had professionals like Charlie Atkins, the the late, great Charlie, who did the OJs, mm. the Temptations, the Four Tops, he did us too. And we told him about some of that. And we put all that together. And I say the two people that influenced us the most as far as input into our shows is Diana Ross and Eddie Levert of the OJs. Wow. Because yeah, we we toured. They were the first ones to take the Jones girls out on tour as the Jones girls, and we they would set chairs on the side of the stage after we finished our set, and we would watch them, and we would question them, and they would give us pointers as to what we should do. And ultimately, Brenda and Val, Brenda, especially Brenda and I, we had that same interaction back in the day that Eddie and Walter have on stage. Yes, Walter has one of my favorite tones of all time. And and Brent, Brenda and Walter's voice, Brenda's tone, as far as, mm -hmm. the, you know, in our group, it was the exact same. That right. smooth, mellow, mm -hmm. uh, you know, tone. And that's Walter's the same way. Speaking of the OJs, I think it's a great time to bring up the Philadelphia International Records Connection. You guys have had, you had some songs on other record labels before then as the Jones Girls, but it really, really took off when you teamed up with Gamble and Huff. Exactly. We have to thank Diana for that because mm -hmm. after, after the European tour, we were headed to Caesars to do her. She did residencies at Caesars Palace twice a year back in the day. And she told us, she said, hey, listen, um, at, when we do this Caesars thing, you know, I'm changing clothes at least five times. So I want you guys to pick a song. And I'm going to bring you out and let the audience hear you and introduce you to the world because you're too good to sing background behind me or anyone else forever. And that's exactly what she did. And because of that 10-minute spot, when we went to Philadelphia mm -hmm. to perform Gamble and Huff and Patti LaBelle were all in the audience, that's when they heard us. We did our 10-minute spot. Of course, we, we were backing her up, too. But mm -hmm. that opportunity is what got us with Philly International. Well, that's a big deal to us. Nikki's from Philadelphia. We're in. Oh. We're recording in Philadelphia right now. Okay, yes. That's, <laughs> that's our second home. Yeah, Philly's yes. a big deal to us. Philly Soul is definitely a big deal to us. And they are... And we're celebrating our 50th anniversary. That is what I was about to say. Yes. yes. 50 yes. years. 50 years. And uh, we're really pushing it off. I, and there maybe even a tour. We've talked... They've talked about doing that. But it's going to all be after November because the... 50 years is actually November. Okay. And so we're going to be 
celebrating the 50th anniversary from now through 2022. Oh, we, we, we're already excited about that. I know. Yes. We just want to be where you are. We just want to be (laughs) where you are. I mean, we, well, all of us, Gene Karn. That was my next mention was Gene Karn. (laughs) Yeah, that's my girls. In fact, Gene and I are doing quite a few things uh, next year. In addition to the Philly stuff, um, Mm -hmm. we're doing Greece and we're doing um, London and Yarmouth, England uh, next year. Wow. Yes. Well, gee, I know Gene Karn. Um, there was, there's an album, it's a live album of the Jones Girls that mm-hmm. Gene was also on with you. And it was overseas? It was two different ones overseas. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that we did here. Mm-hmm. Myself, Gene, Angela Wimbush. And yes. Sherelle. Yes, and Sherelle. Yes. And Sherelle. Yeah. That was the other right. person. Yeah, so, that was in Chicago, that one. But then Gene and I got several on YouTube because we, we're always together over in Europe most of the time. So I was thinking, right, since we're talking about that kind of Philadelphia sound, that influence, we've heard stories of, uh, we've heard Gamble and Huff talk about writing the songs, but what was the experience like actually working with them in the studio? Gamble and Huff were geniuses and professionals mm-hmm. and One of the things I like about it is because creating wise, their lyrics, you know, they would say, okay, ladies, you know, take this home and and practice. And to me, interpreting their lyrics was just so down home. So because the way they write, it was the way that we talked, you know, back Mm -hmm. in the day, back, you know, to our parents and, and different things, you know, hey, you, you know, like you would tell your tell your guy, you're going to make me love somebody else. I'm, you know, I'm tired of this stuff or a song. Like, I just love that man. You know, I don't care what y'all say, you know, he, that's my man and I love him. (laughs) So leave me alone. Right. Um, And and so it, it, it was not hard at all because we consider ourselves not only uh, Brenda, Valerie and I, uh, we didn't consider ourselves just vocalists, but interpreters of Mm. the music, whether we were creating background to something for, say an Aretha or Lou Rawls to something that someone else wrote, we were still interpreting what they were what they were doing and putting when we created the background, because we created all the backgrounds that we did for different yeah. people. And that's how we came up with all those um, unique background parts that that mm-hmm. uh, people wanted on their particular project. Speaking of I Just Love That Man, there was a really neat part of Unsung where McKinley... Right. <laughs> I know that that song was about him. Do you believe that McKinley did not know that that song was about him? He may not have, to, to be honest with you, because at that time we were having some real heavy problems in our relationship. Mm-hmm. But Brendan and Valerie has so much love and respect for McKinley mm-hmm. that they never would have told him you know, um, oh, wow. what they were thinking. Never. Oh, it, was okay. all, they, it was always directed to me. So he, okay. you know, because they, they did not want to get in the middle of it, but they, they were always up in my ear telling me, I'm tired. You know, you should be tired of it. You know, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So no, he may, he really yeah. may not have. And today's yeah. his birthday. I just talked to him not too long. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I respect that from Brenda and Valerie. And that's really smart because especially if you're working with someone someone that you're right. romantically involved with and they're involved with so many different aspects of your career, it is right. smart to just keep it to 
hey, I, this is how I feel about how this man is treating my sister. This is right. very much separate from our careers. And, yeah, be, and but but he was more he was more like a brother to them too because he mm -hmm. did so much for all of us. And my mother, my mother was the one you couldn't say anything ever bad about McKinley to her. She oh, was wow. she was the one that was hurt more than anybody when we broke up. Hmm. and did everything she could to keep us together because she absolutely loved McKinley. Another big hit that you had was Dance Turns Into Dance Turned Into a Romance. Yes, yes. And they showed that on Soul Train. Now I'm a huge fan of Soul Train. I've got to know what was it like performing on Soul Train back then? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Um when we got the call that we were actually going to do Soul Train, that's when we kind of said, oh, man, we have made it. You know, because mm -hmm. if you did back in the day, you could have, you know, all the hits you wanted. But if you were never on Soul Train, that was like, OK, well, you didn't make it. You know, you, you really haven't made it. So, no, that was a great experience. And to have done it not only with the girls, but also with Do You Get Enough Love, my right. solo project, that I kept telling everybody, I did it, I did it, I did it. And sure enough, for the 50th anniversary, Gamble and Huff promoted it on their page, and it's mm -hmm. all over YouTube now. Uh, when I did it as a soloist, because I said, why can't I find it? I could not find it, but they did. So now I have a copy of it <laughs> for me. wonderful. Yes. So, so that Soul Train experience almost feels like a confirmation. Right? Yes, it that is. You were yeah. on Soul Train, and I know, we know we are where we're supposed to be. This is confirmation for us. Exactly, exactly. We did Children of the Night on there as well. Um, and they, that's on YouTube. Because, you know, back in the day, you did two songs. Right. You would right. do the one. And then and then we did Children of the Night was our other one. And when I did it, uh, Last Night I Needed Somebody was the other one that I okay. did. Okay. Well, while we're talking hits, I have to bring this up because I would need to know if you know the impact of Nights Over Egypt. Because... When we were watching the show, I was live tweeting, and I know that's that's my favorite Jones Girl song. That's one of my favorite songs, period. Um, I was listening to a podcast. Kirk Franklin said that is one of his top, top songs ever. Is yeah. He said he loves that song. So me and a, and a lot of the other uh, unsungians, as we, as we call them, were waiting to hear Nights Over Egypt. And during the show, they said that it was a modest hit. And they never played it. They never played anything from it. And I remember it wasn't just me, but there were a lot of people on Twitter going, what happened? I was waiting for that song. How was this a modest hit? How do you feel about that? Like, did you, did you, even though let's say it didn't sell as much, that's a huge song. Is that just a huge underground song? Or how do you see Nights of Egypt as a hit? Nights of Egypt is probably the most well-known song of the Jones Girls, except for maybe you're going to make me love somebody else. Right. And maybe even more than that. But what happened with that song, and both Dexter Wanzell did get on Instagram and address it, because what happened was Cynthia Biggs is the co-writer of the song, and every song has to be cleared with a license. Mm. Unsung and I and Cynthia Biggs was a very, was a very, very dear friend of mine. She had agreed to letting Unsung license to play. Unsung had 56 seconds set aside for a tribute to Dexter Wanzell and Cynthia Biggs for that song. And because we were friends, she agreed to the licensing, but then 
when she she's going through a major, major owner rights situation with Warner Chapel. And she, I believe she kind of thought that Unsung was going to fight that battle for her because they really wanted to use Knights Over Egypt. But no, they, they could not do it. And so the deal that she agreed to, she backed out on. And that is the reason why she and I don't talk to each other today. And that is the reason why Unsung had to, because they didn't, they didn't acknowledge it at all. I, I made, I told them that we had to put something in there about Knights Over Egypt. And the only thing they were allowed to do was mention it and say what they did. And at that time, it was a modest hit because it was the third single off of the Get As Much Love As You Can album. Mm -hmm. But fast forward 10, 15 years ago, more people started investigating that song and finding out that we had did that song because Incognito did a cover of it. But the song is actually owned by Cynthia Biggs, who at the last minute, the very last minute, and I was up, I was, you know, upset about it. Unsung was upset about it. And Dexter Wanzel was too, when he found out what really happened and why it was not featured, because the plan was un, um there was 56 seconds, almost an entire minute devoted to just nights over Egypt. Yeah. And he did clarify it on Instagram and Facebook mm. himself. Dexter did. But I don't know if anybody reached out to Twitter, you know, but that that's what happened. It's such a powerful song. I mean, it's been sampled over 25 times. Yep. Um, it's been covered numerous times. And that is why she's upset right now, because Warner Chapel has been getting all of the money, but she's the rights owner and she's, she doesn't have the power or the money to fight a Warner Chapel. So she's just kind of upset with everybody else right now for paying Warner Chapel this money instead of her. But like I told her, the only way she could do that is that, that she should just go on and let people say, you know, I've let as many people as I know know that she's the original, she is the owner of the copyright. She's the owner of the song. But right now she's just cutting off her nose to spite her face because of what she's going through with Warner Chapel. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. That's a music lesson right there. That's yeah. tough. And I was disappointed, uh, but I was glad that they at least mentioned it. Mm. And back in that time, it was. What happened mm. with with Nights Over Egypt was quite the Quiet Storm Radio took that song and as soon as the album came out and Valerie wanted it to be the first single she was the only one that heard it wow. that way and if she had done that if we if we had listened to her it probably would have gotten much more here we are 40 years later Anderson Peck Mary J Blige everybody tells me that's one of their favorite songs oh yeah and it's amazing because that song is like what 40 40 years old, <laughs> you know? That song so. has legs. That song really is the, yeah. the legs. Um, another song, Who Can I Run To? That always has I been, mean... always will be my favorite Jones Girl song. Mm -hmm. In fact, my single that's going to be coming out first of July is a remake. They featured that a little bit with me singing. They did. As, but it's streaming. The entire song uh, is on all the streaming platforms. I won't tell. And it's coming out on radio right before the 4th of July. Why is Who Can I Run To your favorite? I just liked when that song, Joe Jefferson produced that. And when the guys that wrote it presented that song to us, 
the question, you know, when who can I run to? They just hit me because so many people ask that question. You know, when you really need love, I'm not talking about physical love, you know, I'm talking more spiritual. When you really mm. need to know that somebody's there and they got your back and they're, they're there for you no matter what, unconditional love, who, who can you go to? You know, who, who do you who do you run to? And I think when when they presented that, I was like, wow, I think I was going yeah. through that was a, a question that just has stuck in my mind. So interpreting it and singing it, I also think it's one of the best vocal performances I've ever done. So that's another reason why I like it so much. And I think that happened because of the fact of the lyrics. I love what it's saying, you know, as I stand here contemplating, you know, on the right thing to decide, you know, this is, mm-hmm. I, I used to always, no matter what, my mom was the person that I ran to, you know, and she would always tell me, get on your knees and pray. That's what mm-hmm. you do. You know, <laughs> that was her advice. And so, that's also who you run to, right. And, and then my son and, and nephew, they, they have that, that they did the remake. It, so it's going to continue to go on for a long, long time because of, um, uh, the remake, you know, hip hop style that Cam and PJ has done. I also think that that song, to me, a great song inspires artists, right? Your your vocals, the way you delivered it, the way you interpreted that song. So when I hear Escape's version, to me, that's a direct tribute to you and your sisters. Absolutely. Right, because they didn't sleep with that song. They didn't say, well, somebody threw it to me and I'm just going to do whatever it was like the perfect tribute to the quality of vocals and the time that you put in creating that song. Do you see it the same way? I do. I see it the exact same way. And that's what I told them, you know, cause they were like, Oh, we don't, think, did we, did we really do a good job? I said, you guys yeah. did a terrific job. <laughs> I said, and also when you put it out, it brought more attention back to the Jones girls. Cause you know, our version had been out 16 years earlier. Wow. So, uh, you know, and then we weren't really out there that much singing or anything anymore. But then all of a sudden, a lot of people start calling for the Jones girls, you know, because of Escape covering that song. That's so great. The show goes into um, some of the struggles and the challenges that happened within. I remember your mother talking about, are you saying that your mother talked about the most important thing was for the sisters to stick together? Yes. No matter what happened. And so with a lot of, you know, what we've seen, we talk about other unsung episodes, especially with families, how difficult yeah. it can be. And it, it looked like the last, we just want to clarify this. It looks like the last show that you had before the reunion was in Chicago in 1985. Yeah. So that was the final show. That was the final as, show. As the oldest sister, how difficult was that for you? Did you feel like a certain kind of responsibility as the leader of the group, not even the lead singer, but just the leader of the group of sisters? Like, what was that responsibility like for you? It was heavy. I mean, it was so, it was so hard for me because I was trying to get them to understand, you know, the, the business and that what they were doing was actually taking them, you know, too far away from the professionalism Mm -hmm. and the business ethic that we had always, always prided ourselves in having. Um, And that, that was a bridge too far because my mother used to always tell us God put man on earth to be in control over everything, the evil, 
the drugs, the alcohol, you have to be in control over all of that mm-hmm. or it will take you under. And I kept trying to remind them of that, to re- make them to remember that nothing is more important than, you know, your health, your, you, what, what you're doing. Well, you know, I mean, they're, they were ruining their careers and, and my, me right along with it because they couldn't get a handle on to the severity of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And as much as I would talk to different people in the business, nobody seemed to have been able to get through to them on that, you know, but so all I was doing in the background was reaching out because that particular show in Chicago at the Airy Crown, we had been on tour. It was Luther, Vandross, Peebo, Bryson, and us. And, you know, Peebo and Luther knew. And that, you know, that night was was it, you know, because I, I had mm-hmm. been, I was back in the back dressing room talking to both of them afterwards. And, um, you know, Luther and I were very dear friends. And he, because he, they, they kept saying, one day you're going to get tired. You're going to, you're really going to get tired and you're going to have to, you're going to have to let it go because they're not to accept in any of the help that, that everybody's been offering. And uh, that's what I did that night. It was a New Year's Eve and that was the last straw. I couldn't take it anymore. Do you think you were prepared coming into the music industry, right? There are these challenges that we know. So we know that some artists have struggled with addiction, depression. When you look back, going into the industry, could you fathom that that would be the road that you would find yourselves on, the challenges you would find yourselves in? In a way, because, see, we were so, we we really didn't know anything about success of, I mean because we were just local artists you know we didn't know anything about what to do if you really had started having national acclaim and people constantly coming at you and wanting you to do this that and the other constantly going on promotional tours working sometimes you know we'd be in 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 a car or a plane and driving from one place to the other to the point where you don't even know what city you're in. You can't even. And that that is what affected Valerie because she loved the performing part and being in the studio. But man, all that pressure when you're out there on that road. And back in the day, you had to do these promo tours that were sometimes two weeks long. You were hitting all these different cities, one right after the other, constantly going to radio. So at some point, it takes a a lot of mental stamina too mm-hmm. to be able to get through that. And then once the drinking started uh, with my sisters, a lot of it, uh, I believe, was became a mental health problem because when you when when certain things like when you start drinking too much or doing too many drugs, that all that stuff start affecting you mentally. Anything that 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 you fear becomes intensified and that's where people become depressed and all of that so that's why I say you people should really be careful to not do anything to the extent where it's starting to affect you mentally I hear a lot of times with with solo artists like the first time they go solo the first time they hit the stage they they go they're thinking it was so weird not having you know, this person over here, this person to my left, this person to my right, you know, just that whole adjusting. How was that for you going back to Gamble and Huff, 
having that great song that you came out with, You Get Enough Love. Um, how was that for you to go solo? Like, what was that feeling? My first performance uh, with Do You Get Enough Love, mm -hmm. uh, I went on a seven-month tour with Frankie Beverly Mays. And mm -hmm. um, that night, it's in uh, Washington, D.C., at Constitution mm -hmm. Hall. I was in my room just so nervous, even though I had went back to Charlie Atkins to do my show. Mm -hmm. So I and, and I had the the two guys and a girl as background singers, and I knew we were well rehearsed. But for some reason that night, prior to going over to the venue, I was just pacing the floor, pacing the floor. How are people going to accept me? How are they going to? You know, because I did have a lot of, you know, quite a few of the Jones Girls song in the show, but I also was introducing my, uh, not only Do You Get Enough Love, but songs from my, my album. And I'm like, I hope I got enough Jones Girl stuff in there. Will people, how are they going to respond? And uh, I got a knock on the, on my door and it was some beautiful, uh, like two dozen uh, yellow roses uh, from Diana. Oh who, my goodness! Who, who said uh, basically uh, the into in today's terminology? Basically, you got this. Go for it. Wow. And uh, that perked me up, and I got on the head a killer show. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was great. So around that time, I, I remember they were talking about your your solo efforts and how that started going, and there was a reconciliation that happened yes. between you. And Brenda, primarily because Br Brenda had PJ. No, Valerie. Val I'm sorry, Valerie. Val let's go back. Between you and Valerie, it's Valerie and PJ. And yes. you both had sons around the same time. And, and right. um, which was so beautiful that you were able to come back together. And then there was a reunion tour. Yeah, in 1992 in London. 1992. My mom, my mom came over there and we had two sold out shows at the Dominion Theater there. And my mom tore it up both nights she came on stage my godmother played and oh uh, they goodness. showed some of those pictures and yeah mm -hmm. yeah my godmother played the organ my mom and tore it up and to this day people that were there say that was one of the most magical nights ever and our manager Myrna I got I got a whole book full of the pictures of my mom and and uh, us on stage at the Dominion that night. That is such a full circle moment. Yes, yes, yeah. it was. And um, after that tour, that you know, that pretty much was was the end of it. That mm -hmm. you know, uh, then um, you know, and then not too long after that, uh, Valerie, you know, passed away in two thousand one. Mm -hmm. And they did talk about that as well as the passing in Brenda, but they did speak about how there was that reconciliation that the three of you had, you know, with, with well, actually that you had uh, with them each and how you spoke, oh, yeah. how you spoke oh, yeah. with Brenda, like right before she passed away. I did. You know, I what a did. blessing it was to, can you yeah. talk to us about that? Just that, as Nikki mentioned, the full circle moment, but also the blessings of being able to reconcile before they passed. Yeah, the, and then, I mean, Brenda, it took me by surprise because we have been talking. I was um, scheduled to perform at Essence that July on Mary J. Blige's uh, night. It was Women Only mm -hmm. in 2017. Diana, she was performing the night before at Essence. And Brenda and I were talking and she said, I, she said, well, you know, I think I'm going to come to the Essence show. I said, all right. I said, and she said, you know, what we should do is go back and maybe uh, I'll come, but let's meet up 
on that Friday and go see Diana and say hey to her. And I said, okay. And I knew she had been having some problems. I said, all right, that's it. So you're going to come? And she said, yeah, I'm going to come. I said, and then don't be surprised if I call you up on stage. And she said, oh, okay. Well, I said, so you're going to be ready? She said, yeah, I'll be ready. I'm going to be ready. And uh, those are basically the conversations we were having. Uh, And then on April 2nd, you know, she had left me a message on April 1st and I got back to her on April 2nd. And she, whenever she left a message on my voicemail, she would always say, it's me, it's your sister. And, you know, and like that, but she never, you know, she never would say where she was or anything. So when Mm -hmm. I talked to her on April 2nd, I asked her, where was she? And of course, Brenda was always mysterious, never told us where, where Mm -hmm. she was. And she sounded a, a little different, you know, um, but I didn't think anymore of it. And then, but, you know, I always in my conversation with my sisters and even with my kids now with I love you, because you never know when that may be the last time you get, get a chance to say that. And right. I remember um, and she, she says, I'm, I said, are you all right? And she says, I'm, I'm OK. I'm, I'm all right. And I said, so you're not going to tell me where you are. You know, and she said, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I said, all right, well. I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. All right. And she said, okay, I love you. And I love, and I said, I love you. And that was, that was it about 11 o'clock that next morning is when they told me that um, she had been hit um, by, you know, by several cars. So that, uh, that was uh, very, very difficult. It's very difficult for me now to talk about even, but I became more determined than ever. Um, and I said that at Essence too, to make sure I keep the, you know, the legacy of uh, me and my sisters out there <laughs> for yeah. the sake of her, because she really was trying to get herself together to, you know, get back to singing with me. So mm-hmm. she was trying hard, but it, you know, it, it, it had just overtaken her so, so much at that point. I guess the one question I have, did she come to peace with the fact that it wasn't like you were trying to be the lead singer? We, we hear the story often when we look at groups, right? Yeah. And whether it's a record label or a producer who picks a certain person to be the lead, it can cause tension, especially when you have grown up together and you guys have been that one voice. Later on, was she able to look back? Do you feel that she was able to look back and say, it wasn't like I interpreted it to be? It wasn't as if my big sister was trying to to take the spotlight. It was, it just, it wasn't, it was what it was. It was, she was great at what she did and I embraced it and, and she honored me. You honored your sisters. You appreciated their gifts. And maybe it wasn't the way she she thought it was earlier on in her life. Uh, no, I don't think she, um, before she passed, I don't think she came to that. In fact, I kind of know she didn't because in Britain, one of the things we couldn't talk about in that song is, you know, Britain has two daughters that refused to be a part of Unsung because they didn't, they didn't want to talk about their mom. Um, and to this day, they do not talk to me. So she did a lot of instilling certain things in them and and so much so that they don't even talk to each other and they're like 36 and 40 uh something and they don't even talk to each other so um because a lot of people ask me 
you know, well, what happened to Brenda's daughters? Why weren't they a part of it? You know, but they, and, and they refused. They didn't want to be a part of it at all because they were so angry with their mother. One was not even talking to her mother. And she, for these past four years, from what I understand, has just really been going to therapy and everything because she was not even speaking to her mother when her mother passed. So mm-hmm. now that unsung is is out, the episode is out, you know, a year, almost a year after it was recorded. Is there anything that you wish would have been in the episode or do you feel like it was the complete story as much as could be told in like 45 minutes in 45 minutes I wish they had put a little more about our childhood like we we did scenes at at the high school at central high school Mm -hmm. that we went to for some reason none of that was in there but I'm talking to people right now several people this was even before unsung about doing a a biopic on us uh so okay. we shall see what happens. Okay. Yeah. And I'll make sure all that all that uh, chi- early childhood stuff is 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 brought into play. I like the sound of that. What about you, Nikki? You like the sound of that? I'm there. <laughs> I'm already there. It hasn't been made yet, and I'm already there. Well, I hope it all comes together for you. I hope everything that you want to be in it is in it. We hope Nights Over Egypt gets in there. <laughs> we hope everything yeah, oh, that's, yeah. that's supposed to take place definitely takes place. Tell us what's what's in the future. You you mentioned the the Philly International Records tour. You mentioned uh, I Won't Tell. Yeah. Now, what what are you working on now? What's in the future for you? I'm working on an album that I've been. I kind of started in 2018. It's going to be dedicated to my sisters called In Loving Memory. And I Won't Tell will be the kickoff single for that. And that's going to come out around September, finally. Okay. Um, we're about four songs in now, and I'm writing other, the, the songs and getting ready to go back into the studio with uh, Dexter Wanzell is going to do something, and Ray Parker Jr. is going to do something, hopefully, yes. and McKinley Jackson's doing uh-huh. a couple of things. And it's a tribute album to not only my sisters, but my mother as well. And it's called In Loving Memory. And I'm writing the title track. That'll bring everything full circle for me because I wanted the unsung story to come out right. And it did. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is the the album that I'm writing uh, to them. You have Mm -hmm. so much to just, I mean, on your plate, all the talent that's inside of you, all the gifts that are inside of you. It's just amazing. We're so looking forward to seeing this next chapter yes, that you're about to it, present to the world. Yes, I'm, I'm I'm excited about it too. A lot of the clubs are opening back up again. So I'm going to be doing uh, some clubs come September. So just listen out. People can ch- check me out on my website, Shirley Jones Girl. Dot com. Okay. And of course the social media pages, but my website, I'll be keeping my schedule so that people will know when I'm, when I'm, you know, coming someplace near them. Nikki, we, I mean, we're, we're excited. I've now that outside is opening back up and everything. Yes. We yes, want to see you. We definitely want to see you. Great I music. Too. I can't wait to, to be in front of a, a audience again and, you know, mm-hmm. just just go down memory lane with those beautiful songs from my sisters and I. And that that's that's what I'm gonna be doing for till I can't do it no more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we in Philadelphia love it. 
and are so excited for you to come back home. I know Detroit is your first your first home, but we yes. consider you family oh, yeah. here in Philly. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I love Philadelphia. <laughs> all my friends and Gamble and Deanna Williams, all my mm-hmm. buddies are there. I I don't get back as often as I should, but I will be coming there to perform real soon. <laughs> Great, and we'll be there. Thank you. Can't wait. Ms. Jones, thank you so much for spending time with us today and talking about your episode. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. God bless. Unsung Unwrapped is produced by Lynn Webb, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble at the Bat Base in Philadelphia. 